If the Bible tells us that God sees and hears, then why does it feel like sometimes our prayers go unheard? And what happens when we try to take matters into our own hands? Well, today in Genesis chapter 21, Jen Lewis looks at a story that answers those questions and reminds us of the goodness of God. So I got married when I was 31. And for years in my 20s, I longed for a husband. I pined away wanting to have a husband and get married and have a family and have lots of kids. And um, the problem was, is that there wasn't a man that I connected with who loved Jesus who was around. And so for a lot of my 20s, I was dateless and, um, and single. And there were people around me who felt sorry for me and wanted to help set up, you know, dates and things and all that. And um, honestly, the guys weren't options for me because they didn't love Jesus. And that was like number one priority for me. So for eight years, I went on one date. And finally, when I was 29, my husband, who is now my husband, walked through the doors of the church and such a fairy tale. Anyway, we um, got together, got married, and by 31, I was married and set to go on. But my sister had been with me through this journey of singleness in the, in the 20s and had heard me complain and, and worry about what was going to happen. And so on our wedding day, she gave the, one of the toasts at the reception. And in her toast, she used the word finally probably 10 times. You know, the time has finally come. Brian finally walked into her life. He has finally asked her, and now the day has finally come. And it got a little bit embarrassing. But anyway, we are in a moment in Scripture where we all can collectively say, finally, because Abraham has been waiting for 25 years for the son that is born in this section of scripture. So we are going to look at what happens when this promised son arrives. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 21, and we're going to see how this all plays out. Now, for those of you who haven't been here, um, I want to kind of clue you in a little bit, give you the backstory of Abraham and Sarah um, so that you, you understand what's going on. So uh, when Abraham was about 70 years old, God came to him and said, I am going to make you a great nation. You are going, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing. And he sends him off from the family that in the land that he knew and sent him off to a new land. This new land becomes known as the promised land. It's what we now call the holy land. But Abraham was supposed to, fa supposed to father God's chosen people. And these people became the Jewish people. They be became the people from which the Messiah was to be born. And ultimately, he's kind of like the father of all of it. So he's kind of a big deal in the Christian and Jewish faiths. But what makes this so interesting is that God didn't call him in his 30s or his 40s or his 50s. He called him in his 70s. And he said, I'm going to give you a son to a man in his 70s who had a wife who had never given birth, who was past childbearing years. And so what we see, though, is that he tells him this in his 70s, which already would be pretty crazy to expect a child at this point. But then he doesn't give him that son for another 25 years. And what we've been doing over these past several weeks as we've been reading through Genesis is we've been watching those 25 years play out. 
And we've been seeing how Abraham makes some good choices, and then he and Sarah make some really bad choices. He, he let other men take possession of his wife, not once, but twice. And then in desperation, Sarah thinks, okay, well, I'm not going to give him a child, so I got to come up with another plan, and I'm going to kind of give God some help here. And so she goes to Abraham, and she says, go ahead and sleep with my servant Hagar so that you can have a son through, through her. And Abraham decides, okay, he decides to follow Sarah instead of following God. And he agrees to the plan. He sleeps with Hagar and they conceive a son. So despite all of this, all of these things happening that really don't line up with what God would want, God comes to Abraham again and promises again, listen, you are going to have a son through Sarah. Both of them, both Abraham and Sarah, on two different occasions after hearing this promise for a second time, actually, I think it's the third time, they laugh at God. They, they just don't even believe it. And what has become obvious is that God didn't pick Abraham because he was perfect and sinless. He picked Abraham because he picked him, because he's God and he gets to choose who he wants to, to make promises to and to bless and Abraham's response is this messy, imperfect faith. And if we're honest, it's a faith that's probably a lot uh, like ours, very similar to us. So we're going to begin in chapter uh, 21, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So finally, the promised son has arrived. And I'm going to start out right out from the gates with my first point, which is number one, we see in this whole section of scripture that God is good. God is so good. Abraham and Sarah do not deserve this. But what we see is that God is faithful and he is gracious and we see that what he says he's going to do, he does. The writer of Genesis wants us to see God's faithfulness. Because if you see in just two verses right here, he says three times that God was faithful in a way. If you see, it says in, in verse one, as he had said. So as God had said. Then it says again before verse two, it says he had promised. And then at the end of verse two, it says God had promised him. The author is pointing out three different times about God's faithfulness. And one of the things that um, is interesting about the culture we live in today, you know, for the longest time, like in my growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the big question that happened among people who kind of challenged Christianity or just were skeptical of Christianity, the big question was, is there a God? And now what we're finding is the biggest question of those who are wondering about this whole Christianity thing is not whether God exists, but whether God is good or not. A lot of um, memes and, and quick little things on Instagram and Facebook and different places like that will take jabs at, at, at the kind of the caricature that's been made of who God is and, and, um, and, and, and other people's picture of who God is. And a lot of people question whether he is good. A lot of those narratives suggest that he's not good, that he was this, this patriarchal woman hater, angry God, 
who really is not someone worth following. But what I want to say is that in this scripture, we will see in this whole section of scripture, a side of God that I think shows so much of his goodness. Someone could look at it and read it very quickly and have all kinds of opinions and all kinds of judgments about what happens in this section of scripture. But if we honestly look at it, which is what I want to do today, I want us to really see this scripture from the eyes of the human beings who lived it and then just see the goodness of God throughout it. You see, God is faithful even when we are not. He blesses people because he's good, not because they deserve it. And God's promises may take longer to be fulfilled than we expect, but he will fulfill them. And God is also good because he's gracious. He's so full of grace in this story. If you look specifically at who he's gracious to, I think that's important too. It said in the very first verse, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, the woman. And not just any woman, but the woman who had come up with the plan to have Abraham sleep with the slave girl. The woman who, when told by God that she would bear a son, laughed at God in disbelief. And then when he challenged her on her laughter, she lied to his face. She's not this innocent, pure, you know, we think about God blessing the mother Mary because we think of her as perfect or close to. Sarah was not perfect, but God was gracious to her. And keep in mind, this was written in a time when women were not valued. But Sarah was a part of this promise from the very beginning. You know, often we, we focus on Abraham being the one who was promised, but she was promised as well. And it is really, she was a meaningful part of this story. In fact, through Hagar, it wasn't good enough because that wasn't how the story was supposed to go. God is good and he is faithful and he is gracious and he is loving toward us and patient, patient with us, even when we don't deserve it. Let's keep going. In verse three, it says, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So we see Abraham growing in obedience over this whole 24 years of, of watching him. And he is doing exactly what God had said to do. Now, of course, I do think it's easier to obey God right after he's answered a big prayer request. You know, he, he, he just has seen God be so faithful. And so I'm sure for Abraham, it's easy in this spiritual high moment to do exactly what God said all along the way. But Isaac, the word Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter, by the way. I don't know if, if you know that, but it seems quite fitting since you think about the fact that when God promised this boy to Sarah and Abraham, they both laughed. Really, they laughed in disbelief, but now they get to laugh in amazement. I mean, God really did it after waiting for 25 years. And honestly, if you, if you add all the years prior to that, that they had wanted children and didn't have children. Sarah, it says in verse six, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So not only do Abraham and Sarah get to laugh about this, but everybody who hears about it gets to be amazed to the point of giggles, you know, just like, oh, so awesome, so amazing. But soon we're going to see that this unhindered joy 
doesn't last very long. So they end up throwing this party for Isaac, for baby Isaac. It says in verse eight, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. You see, at this point in history, infant mortality was off the charts. Babies died. Mamas died. It was just a very, I mean, it was tough, you know? Nutrition was not always easy to get. Things were difficult. Life was hard and babies died. And so the day of weaning was like a really big deal because what it meant is it meant that that child got through the most fragile part of their life and most likely would, would end up in adulthood. Often during this time, kids weren't even named until they were weaned because they were so used to people dying. Well, baby's dying. So Isaac was probably about three or four at this point. They were on their mama's milk for as long as they could be. Um, and, and so at this, at this juncture, it's a big deal. And Isaac, or Isaac has a party thrown for him. Abraham throws this party. But it says in verse 9, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. Now, this is where things get messy. And of course, humanity is messy. But, and this is a picture of a real human story. This really happened. These were real people with a real life. And Ishmael was this son who was born to the slave girl that we talked about earlier, okay? And Ishmael at this point would have been 16, 17 years old. He had been his father's only beloved son for 13 years. And then comes this baby, who apparently is chosen by God, the son of his wife, not the son of a slave, the son who was miraculously born to a barren woman who was well past childbearing years. So it doesn't take much to imagine the attitude of a teenage boy to this scenario. You know, the jealousy, the insecurity, the resentment let alone the fact that he has to sit through a weaning party for a toddler. And so he mocks him. And no matter how much we can understand Ishmael's feelings, mocking is not a good thing. And at its core, it is really an attempt to make someone look smaller than you are. And that's what Ishmael was doing. I mean, think about it. Think about his state of mind at this point. Well, Sarah was having none of it. You know, the wife of Abraham, pretty much the queen of this whole scene. She saw his attitude. She saw what he was doing. She probably resented him anyway. She wanted him gone. I mean, he was a reminder of her sin, a reminder of the fact that Abraham had had been with another woman. And she'd had it. So she goes to Abraham. And in verse 10, it says, she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For what woman's son, that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. Sarah can't even call them by their names. He doesn't, she doesn't even use their names. She's so ticked off. And if we're honest, I mean, if we look at this account from all the different perspectives of all the different people, I think we can understand the actions and attitudes of every single one of them. Not that we necessarily excuse them or agree with them, but we can understand it. We can look at Ishmael and, and, and honestly, we could tell him from the thousands years of difference and look back in retrospect and say to him, oh, Ishmael, just get over yourself. Be happy for your family. You've got a brother. But if you were him, you could understand his feelings. 
And we could do the same with Sarah. We could tell her, oh my gosh, consider how Ishmael feels. This isn't his fault. In fact, it's your fault. But we know how life really works. And we know how this happens, how our feelings lead us into behaviors that we regret. And these people were human. Sarah could not bring herself to love and care for Ishmael. And now she thought of him as a threat. She couldn't look at him and, and, and kind of separate herself and, and think about the fact that her husband loved this boy. She just saw him as a rival to her son. And she was not having it. And honestly, she probably knew about human nature. She knew she probably shouldn't trust Ishmael. I mean, how was this all going to play out? According to the custom of the day, he was the firstborn. I mean, would he fight for inheritance? Would he fight for the first place in the family? I mean, it was a mess. It was such a mess, which leads me to point number two. You know, number one was God is good. Number two, God forgives but the consequences of sin are often still difficult. Some of the hardest parts of life are those of our own making. This is a mess. And God is still good and God still forgives, but they made a mess of things. And there were innocent people who were greatly impacted by them. This sin divided their family. And I know that there are, uh, there are so many of us in the room who understand how this happens. We have divisions in our family because of someone's sin or a variety of sins. And it's difficult to live with. It's a mess. And we see in Abraham that this is extremely difficult. It says the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Now that word distressed, I don't think it's really, the English version of that word is not really as strong as it was in its original language. This was a big deal to Abraham. He loved Ishmael. He had been his only son for 13 years. In fact, back in chapter 17, when God came back to Abraham after Ishmael was born, and he said, no, no, you're still going to have a son with Sarah. Abraham tried to talk him out of it. He's like, oh, Ishmael will do. Just let the promise go to Ishmael. He loved him. He, he would have been content if Ishmael was the only one. And don't we do this? Don't we... Instead of going to God first and asking his will, we, we come up with a plan without considering God, and then we want God to bless what we have done, what we've decided. We want God's will to line up with our wills instead of us first aligning our wills to his. And then oftentimes we're willing to settle for second best because one, we can't imagine God's plan could be anything better than we could come up with, but often we don't want to ruffle any feathers that might be ruffled because we're following God. So Abraham's in this really tough position, but in a shocking turn of events, we see that God agrees with Sarah. Now, don't, don't get too upset yet because we're going to talk through this and walk through this. But it says, God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So we could argue all day long about how selfish Sarah is and how, how bad this is for Ishmael, which all of that is true. But honestly, Ishmael was not the original plan. He just wasn't. God had chosen that Isaac, before these boys were born, born, 
God had a plan. And Isaac was going to be the one. Sarah was going to be the matriarch. Abraham was going to be the patriarch. And the savior of the world was going to come from their descendants. The blessing, the chosen people, and the inheritance were not going to go through Ishmael's line. They just weren't. Now, this doesn't seem fair to God, you know, but, but God is God. I mean, it doesn't seem fair to us, but God is God. Like I said earlier, he gets to choose whomever he chooses. And if we're honest, we see throughout history that things can go really awry when inheritance or royal dynasties or ruling lineages are in question. Family ties break really quick. And bad things happen. I mean, if you read any history book or you even read further along in the Bible, you will see brothers kill brothers over who gets to get the inheritance. Who's the next one in line of the throne or in line of all that is left by the father? And we don't know. We have no idea. We do not know what we do not know. We do not know what would have happened if, if Ishmael would have been allowed to stay. It could have been that, that God was protecting both Isaac and Ishmael from whatever they would have done to each other. This is one of those times where we have got to trust God and understand that he knows better than we do. Like it or not, Ishmael was not the son God had promised. He was the result of Abraham and Sarah's sin, of them trying to do life without God, of them trying to, to um, get to the promise in their own efforts. And so only after God reassured Abraham that God would take care of them, Abraham obeyed. It says early the next morning, in verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with a boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Now let me tell you, I have a soft spot for Hagar. I just do. I, I do. This poor woman. You know, she and Ishmael are truly victims in this horrible situation. They are caught up in this mess with no voice at all. You want to talk about oppressed? These people are oppressed. It was bad. And it is so easy for us to sit a thousand years in the future and look at Abraham and be like, what are you doing, you scoundrel? That's what I would have said. But we also have to understand that at this point, he has just seen God do some pretty incredible things. And he has learned that he can trust God. And if God says, they're going to be okay, you've got to do this. I know it's hard, but you got to do this. He was full of faith in this moment and he obeyed which leads me to point number three. It's never too late to obey. It's never too late to obey. So often we try to get out of having to live with the consequences of our sin by sinning even more. You ever notice this? Like we gossip and then we get caught in it and then we lie to cover it up. Or we mess up at work and instead of owning it, we point to the faults of a coworker so that we don't have to be held accountable for it. Or we say something insulting and then we just lie and say, oh no, I was just joking. Or for those of you who are students, you neglect to study because you just don't feel like it and then you cheat on the test because you don't want to deal with the fact that you're going to get a bad grade. We do this. We do this. I mean, we can do this on high levels or low levels. Those are pretty low level sins. But when the stakes are really high, the lies and the cover up gets really high. 
Abraham had failed big time with Hagar. This was like sin numero uno in his line of sins. But he had learned that trying to make something better outside of God's will was not the way to go, that it would make a bigger mess. And so as hard as it was, he chose to trust and obey. We've got to do the same. There are times when we will have to face the consequences of our sin, and it's going to be painful, and we may want to avoid them. We may want to run from them and try to cover them up, but it is best to offer those things back to God and ask for his help. What's really cool about God and his goodness is that he will help us clean up the mess we make. He's really good at that, in fact. It goes on. And Hagar and Ishmael, okay, so they go in the desert. This is verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. I mean, can you imagine? I can't even imagine. You're out in the desert. You're thirsty. You're exhausted. You're alone. She's a foreign woman who had been a slave, who is this single mom in a desert. I mean, I don't know that it could get any worse. It's a horrible moment. She's been used by Abraham, abused by Sarah, rejected and abandoned. And then you've got Ishmael, who's alone and vulnerable and weak from walking in this desert, feeling rejected and unwanted. And I would bet that he doesn't just feel that from Abraham, but I bet you he thinks that about God. I bet you that he could easily have told himself, I was never meant to be to begin with. I was a mistake from the start. I was a result of sin. I should have never been born. No one wants me. Even God is on Sarah's side. I mean, can you imagine the pain? And they're exhausted and you're always more emotional when you're exhausted and they're hungry and they're thirsty and so it all to boot. They're broken and they both began to weep, just waiting for death to come, probably welcoming it at this point. But then God shows up. It says in verse 17, God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Now we look at this question and we're like, um, I think you know. <laughs> There's a lot of things wrong. <laughs> but if you've been reading with us through Genesis, you remember another time that Hagar was in the desert. It's very reminiscent, isn't it? Those of you who've been following along, that you know that when Hagar was first pregnant, Sarah just had enough of her and sent her away into the desert. And when she was there, even more vulnerable because she didn't even have a, you know, a strapping young boy to help her in the desert. She's alone and pregnant and God showed up to her. And most theologians believe that it was God in the flesh. Like this is one of those instances where it's not just like a booming voice from heaven or an angelic thing. Like this was supposedly the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Jesus before Bethlehem who came and comforted her. And from this story, we get just another glimpse of the goodness of God because Hagar looks to the God in that moment back then and she said, he is the God who sees me. She, she, she just recognized she didn't deserve to be seen, but he saw her. 
So she ends up returning to Sarah and she names her son Ishmael. And Ishmael means God hears. And so here they are in the desert weeping. God shows up because God sees her and God hears him. God hears Ishmael. God hears, God hears. God hears him. And so he asks her this question. It, it to me, is almost like him saying, honey, we've been here before, haven't we? Don't you, don't you forget, I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who hears. And this reveals to me so much the goodness of God. Nobody loved them. Nobody loved them. God did. Ishmael may not have been a part of the promised line of Abraham, but it didn't mean that God didn't have a plan for him. God valued the life of Hagar, and he valued the life of Ishmael. God had been with them all along, and maybe he had allowed them to get to this point of suffering so that they had no choice but to turn to him and find the help that only would be the only help that could get them through. They needed to learn, like Abraham, to trust God with everything. And God hears them. And people will argue, why, God? Why do you allow these things to happen? You know, Hagar isn't the only woman who's been abandoned and abused and left alone with a child. And we do. We honestly, we look at these things, and even up to today, and we say, God, why? Why do you let people treat people this way? And maybe some of you ask that because this is your story. This has happened to you. And, and it's easy for us to look at God and say, God, why? And I think that there will be more understanding in heaven than what we have here on earth. But one part of the explanation is that God gives us all the choice to love him or to not love him, the choice to follow God or not to follow him. Because if he didn't give us that choice, we would basically just be programmed robots that would have no free will, no real life. But there's a cost that comes with that free choice because with that free will comes the option for people to say no to God. And what we see here is the result of that. We see the, the, the result of Abraham and Sarah's temporary lack of faith and temporary sin and temporary rejection of God's plan results in the pain of others. And that is precisely where the majority of the pain in our world comes from. It comes from other people rejecting the will of God. And while he never promises that we won't have hardship, he does promise that he will not leave us alone in the midst of us. He is faithful. He is good. He is gracious. And he had told Hagar way back the first time that he was going to take care of, him, of, of Ishmael and of, of her. He had promised that already. And she had forgotten it. I mean, the situation was so hard and so painful and so big. It was all that Hagar could see. And so he sees her in the pain, but he also sees the future and he knows what's going to come of them. And what looks hopeless to us 
is not hopeless with God. And he says to her, remember. He's reminding her of the promise he made. And even though the world would look at people like Hagar and Ishmael as invaluable, God sees something different, which is my final point. Number four, every life is important to God. Every life. He calms her and he provides for her. It says in verse 17, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. This is how we know it's not just some random angel. It's actually God talking to her because he says, for I will make him into a great nation. I. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. And we see the grace of God. We see the sustaining power of God in the rest of their story. No, Hagar and Ishmael, they do not get the stereotypical picket fence, you know, white picket fence. They don't, they don't um, have kind of this easy life. She still has to be the single mom who plays the role of both mom and, and dad. She has to go find him a, a, a wife, which is normally the job of the father. But God saw them through it. They were not alone. He provided for them. He cared for them so that they could not only so survive, but thrive. And the world could look at them and easily dispose of them easily assume that since they were a mistake in the earthly father's eyes, that they were a mistake in their heavenly father's eyes. But that's not what this story communicates. That God valued them and valued their lives. I can't help to read this section of scripture and not, not think about how so many of us live and feel like we are mistakes. Or I can't read this section of scripture and not think of the unwed mothers who contemplate what to do with their unexpected pregnancies because they think, well, it was a mistake, which means this child is a mistake. You know, our world today would have encouraged Hagar the first time she was in the desert to end her pregnancy. After all, he wasn't planned. He was a result of sin. What a mess. But that was not God's will. Remember, we don't deal with the consequences of our sin by sinning more. God values life, and he is big enough to have plans for the unplanned. You know, God could have stopped Hagar from getting pregnant to begin with. He, just last week, we, Myron talked about the fact that he closed the wombs of an entire harem. But for some reason, he let Ishmael be born. And God's love and protection of Hagar and Ishmael shows us that he has love for those we deem as mistakes. Those we see who, who are trapped in this world, whether they're the abandoned mother or the, or the unplanned baby. This is a picture of a God who cares and loves for both of them, for all of them. God sees and God knows, God hears their prayers. Every life is valuable to God, whether we, we think it's planned or not. You know, honestly, looking at this entire story, God's grace and mercy and compassion is really on every single person. 
in this story. I, I, I don't know about you, but I can see myself in every one of these people. You know, I've been the one who's treated others badly. I've been the one who has jumped ahead of God's plan and screwed things up. I've been the one who wants to avoid consequences of sin and also the one who has to end up living in the consequences of my sin. I've also been the one who's been rejected and unwanted. And what I see in this story is that God has grace for all of us in all those different seasons of life, in all those different roles that we play. He meets us there too. He is the God who sees Hagar and Ishmael, but he is also the God who sees you. And what we see is that God invites us to have a relationship with him. He offers us help and provision and love and compassion, and grace and mercy. But we have a choice. What will we choose? You know, this story gets brought up again in the New Testament, in Galatians, in chapter 4 of the letter of Galatians. And oftentimes, God uses events in the Old Testament to illustrate spiritual truths that are revealed in the New Testament. And Paul uses the story of Hagar and of Sarah as an allegory to show the spiritual truth about the two choices we have on how we are going to try to get to God. Hagar represents trying to do it in our own efforts trying to do it in our own plans and thinking that we can rely on our own good works to get to God. But ultimately, this leads to slavery because we are never able to overcome our sin on our own and we are never able to be good enough. We will never measure up in our own strength. We will always be striving. It's a slavery. But Sarah represents the promise of freedom, freedom that comes through faith in Jesus. Freedom that comes from trusting God's plan and following his plan instead of our own. We're all born in slavery. We're all born in the slavery of sin, but we get to choose what are we going to do with the offer God gives us. Are we going to try to get to him in our own efforts, thinking that we can do it all and figure it out all on our own? Or will we surrender our plans and admit that we can't do it on our own and accept God's invitation, the invitation to be like Isaac, to be born of a promise, free from striving, surrendered to God and to his will in our lives. You know, Hagar and Ishmael could have put their fists up at God. They could have said, screw you. You did this to us. You let this happen to me. But they didn't. They turned to him for help and they accepted his offer. If they would have turned against him, it would have been the death of them. But God offered them life. And he offers that to you today, too. You know, he's not called a redeemer for nothing. He's in the business of redeeming stories. And he can redeem yours, too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You are so good. You have been so gracious to us, so compassionate to us. And we can stand before you because of Jesus, knowing that we are wanted and we are redeemed and we are loved. Thank you for seeing us. 
Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being a God that's big enough to deal with our mess ups. But you make yourself small enough to help us. Father, thank you. Help us to live lives worthy of the gifts you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.